Or, yes, ma'am. I did not know that. Okay, yeah. June says that you remember Betty Corbin and Leanne Mansman used to be here, had Emma, the little girl that she had adopted. Uh, Leanne's had ovarian cancer since, so I didn't even know that. But she's gotten a clean report from that, so that's good. I'm sure many of you remember Leanne and Betty, uh, who were here for a while. Okay. All right. So, as we begin today, got a couple riddles for you. What do you call a Bible character who's just pulled into church? A parking lot. Uh, sorry, I, I, I had to do that to you. I got another one, though. Yeah, I know. Sorry. I'm, 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 I'm getting you started on the right foot, right? Left foot, maybe. Moses' wife, Sephora, was known, what was she known as when she threw dinner parties? The hostess with the Moses. Uh, all right. I had to wake you up somehow, right? <laughs> okay. Be open up your Bibles to the letter to Colossians, and uh, we'll begin our study. As you know, we've been looking at the letter to the Colossians for the last couple of weeks. I think it's a great study. The church in Colossae apparently was a, a, a good church at this time when the, when the letter's written, probably around 60 AD or so. Paul. Uh, did not know the people there, apparently. He had not established that church. It was probably established by Epaphras, or Epaphras and some others uh, had planted that church. And then Paul had learned about their faith, their love for each other, probably through Epaphras, who was a fellow prisoner uh, of his. They were imprisoned for their faith. So Paul talks about that, and we talked about that the last couple of weeks, how he talked about their steadfastness in the faith, the love they had for each other, the, the fruit that was produced because of that steadfastness and that love and, and the way that church had grown. Colossae was a, a, not, a, not a relatively large town, very small town. Of course, it's in ruins now. It's in, it was in southwestern, what we call southwestern Turkey today, or Asia Minor at the time. And there was like a tri-city area there between Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And we all talked about Laodicea. At this time, apparently, Laodicea, the church in Laodicea was doing well too, but we know how that kind of ended when you look at the churches in Revelation, how Laodicea, John the Revelator saw and was told about their being lukewarm, remember, and had left their first love. So we see at this time this church is doing well. Paul is praising them. He's talked about their love. And today we're going to look at the prayer he had for them, the prayer that he customarily would give when he'd write these, you would see in his letters when he'd write these letters to to the churches and to the brethren. It's prayer on their behalf. Uh, just like the others, we see that in Colossians. Even though he'd not met many of these people personally, uh, didn't not know their, them personally, they knew about their love and their faith. And that probably prompted him to pray for them increasingly, unceasingly, right? To do that all the time, being prayer for these churches, particularly those in Asia Minor, as he had, as he had become, or he had known as the as the, uh, 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 the prophet or the minister to the Gentiles, right? He had gone into all the world, uh, out, away from the Jews, to preach to the Gentiles as well. Of course, the Jews were part of that too, but he was 
uh, the apostle to the Gentiles as, as we know he, he was. What, what did he pray? What did he do? What, what's so big about this? Well, let's look over in Colossians in chapter 1, and let's just read what he says in verse 9. Beginning in verse 9, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, and he's talking about their faith and their love, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So here we have a prayer, talking, Paul talking about his prayer for them, a prayer based on what he had heard of them, their faith, their love, their fruit, and he's, tell, he's praying that they continue to be filled with, with, with knowledge and understanding, filled, filled to the brim with knowledge and understanding. And we can look at that and say, well, what, what, what does that mean exactly? What, what's he talking about when he's saying filled, filled with knowledge and understanding? Not, not a small measure, right? Not just being satisfied with knowing a few things, right? And you think about that, too, at that time. They didn't have all these letters, right? This letter was sent by Paul, and he says, read this in the churches in Laodicea, read this in Hierapolis, right? Pass it around. They didn't have all the written word that we have today in the New Testament. Well, they, they had the old law, and they had the Jewish teachers that perhaps Gentiles may not have known all the old law, but they could learn. Of course, Paul could teach them absolutely. He knew the law. But they did not have that. So he's saying, be filled with that knowledge. And of course, a lot of that we know in the first century was a, a uh, miraculous knowledge. Some had knowledge to the Spirit that they were able to, uh, to, to pertain and pass on to others, preach others, teach others, right? And of course, we know the apostles did greatly, and they were continuing in that doctrine, continuing to learn, right? So his prayer is that they continue to be filled with all knowledge and understanding. And that can apply to us today, right? We can be filled with knowledge and understanding. We have the Word. We have all that we need right here, but it means we got to do a little bit of work, right? It's not something we're just going to know off the top of our heads. He's saying to be, be satisfied, not to be satisfied with just a little knowledge, but a full measure. Know as much as you can. Continue to learn. Continue to understand. It pretty much becomes a lifetime thing, doesn't it? Anybody in here know it all? I know some of you have been accused of that, but does anybody really know it all in here? No, of course not. We'll never know it all, but we continue to be filled with knowledge, continue to learn, continue to try to understand what the Lord wants in our lives and His Word, from His Word, the knowledge of His will. This is what God desires us to be filled with. The Greek word for knowledge is epignosis or, ep or something like that. Uh, and that's what, that's what the word is used in this passage. Knowledge which results in a practical experience. Not just, not just learning, not just reading something, and it's not just being told something, but knowledge is gained through experience, right? How do you learn? Do you, is, are you a good learner just by reading a book or a textbook? That, are you able to learn well that way? We, we go to school, right, when we're younger, and maybe some of you still do, I don't know. 
And we, we take tests and we learn things, but, you know, if you don't experience it, if you don't use it, after a while, what happens to some of that knowledge? It goes away, doesn't it? I mean, I used to know how to do logarithms. No way I could do that right now. I need to start. I'm a computer guy, but I'm not, I, don't, I don't know how to do logarithms anymore. I did it one time. Things have to be used. We have to experience it. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. It's not just the book learning. It's not just being taught something, but it's putting it into practice. Does that apply to us today? Hmm. This is our knowledge of God's will. This would be something we have come by through that practice and application in our lives. It's not just the book knowledge. It's putting it into our lives and, make, and helping us to grow spiritually, putting it into practice, using what we've learned to live a better life for him. He talks about in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In James 1, I want to read something to you. I'm going to be jumping around quite a few uh, verses here, so if you want to follow, that's fine. If not, I'll read it, and uh, we can see what it has to say. James 1, let me just start with verse 1. And this is an interesting passage. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now that fifth verse is the kicker there, but the first four talk about what? Putting things into practice, learning through practice, being tested. And he's, he's referring to persecution here too. You're going to be persecuted when you put things into practice. As a Christian, the world hates you, just like it hated him. But he's also saying, be in prayer about it. Be in prayer for that wisdom. You ever prayed to God to help us know what to do? Of course you have. Happens probably about every day, doesn't it? What do I do? I have a sick child. I don't know, should I take him to the hospital? Should I just go get a bottle of aspirin? What do I do? have friends that are in need. What do I do with my life? How do I serve you? How do I serve God in the most practical and uplifting way? All kinds of things. So we should be in prayer about that, right? We should be in prayer to possess the knowledge of God that will give us spiritual understanding. And how do we do that? How are we about to go to find what he wants for us? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, if you, or chapter 3 if you wish. And let's just begin in verse 1, <clears throat> Ephesians 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revolution he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. He's saying here, the Gentiles have been given the, the promise, the gospel, through the working of God and through the knowledge that he has passed on to the apostles, the brethren, and they can have that as well. That spiritual understanding that requires 
now reading the Word. At that time, listening to the apostles, being, continuing their doctrine, under, trying to understand what they're teaching, and putting that into practice. Why is being filled with such knowledge important? Why is that a big deal? Can we live a Christian life and not know much about God? Well, let me make a distinction there. Of course, we can be saved by simply knowing that God loved us and sent his son to die for us, right? We can be saved and maybe not know much more than that. But can we walk a Christian life just by that? Well, you might say, well, you know, I know enough to get saved. But you have to continually walk in that light, right? You have to continue to walk in that light. And part of that is growing spiritually. And you've probably heard the phrase a million times, if you're not growing, what are you doing? You're dying, right? You have to continually be growing in knowledge, understanding, knowing more about God daily. And that means reading the Word, right? Turn over to the book of Hosea. Let's see a warning that he says about not knowing about that knowledge. If I can find Hosea, that's going to be fun. Can I, I can't remember the song. Uh, I should have picked that out already. Where's Hosea? I'll get there in a minute. All right, all right. Well, anyway, Hosea 4. Somebody read it. Four verse six. Yeah. So there we have it. Hosea, the prophet, says what? You will be destroyed because of your lack of knowledge. Knowledge is important. Knowledge needs to be something we are trying to attain in our lives, trying to understand the, light, the, the Word of God, understand God's will for us and what He wants us to do. It's essential to our being renewed in Christ. In Colossians there, turn over to chapter 3, and let's read a, a few verses there. Colossians 3, beginning in verse uh, 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all those, all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. You see, essential to our being renewed in Christ is knowledge, right? Paul's talking about it there when he's writing to the church at Colossae. Knowledge is important to our growth. We need to know about God. We need to learn as much as we can about God more and more each day. And you think about that. When you become a child of God, you are put in a relationship with him as your father, right? Don't you need to know a bit about your father? I mean, I would think you want to know about your physical father, your biological father, right? And I know a lot of you, your fathers have passed on. But I'm sure when they were around, you wanted to know about them. You wanted to know what they were doing, what their job was, what they did for work. They have a thing at our work now where take your children to work day, right? And the kids come and they, they mess around a little bit, don't do much, but they get to see their dads or their moms 
in the office there and see what they're doing when they're away from home. That makes them, it enters them, right? It's something they want to know about. In that same sense, we want to know about the Father, right? We want to know who he is, what he is, and what his work's all about. We should be in the word, in prayer every day, trying to grow in this way. Well, in his prayer, he, he, uh, he's talking about the church at Colossae. He's talking about the brethren there. Uh, but can this be applied to us in the way that we live? Can this prayer point something out for us? <clears throat> he says, have a work worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. You see, he's talking about them now. He's talking about their lives. He's talking about yeah, you need to know God. You need to understand the, what His ways. You need to understand who He is. But you need to also let that move you to walk in a way that's faithful and in that knowledge of God's will. Ephesians 4. Let's look at a verse there. And you can, you can keep a finger in Ephesians. We'll be reading several verses from there today. Um. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 and verse, just look at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. To conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of God is what Paul is saying, right? He wants you to increase in knowledge that you may be able to live a life worthy of a Christian, worthy of the love that God had for you. The Lord we serve and the calling we have received is certainly a worthy one, right? When you became a Christian, had you counted the cost? Had you actually thought about what it was going to mean to be a Christian? Maybe. Maybe not so much. Maybe you were just fearful of hell. That might have been the motivating factor, and, and that's not a bad thing. We need to worry about that. But had you counted the cost, perhaps? Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you didn't understand what that might mean. That's part of that growth process, right? There's certain costs to being a Christian. You think, well, I, I'm living my life. I, I'm doing okay. I'm happy. I've got all my needs met. Yeah, but in the world, and that's getting worse every day, you're not looked upon as being so favorable anymore or as ever, right? Things are happening every day, especially in our nation that's blowing my mind. There's a cost to being a Christian. And in fact, we talk about it all the time, giving our lives over to him, trusting him with our lives. But do we really do it? Do we really turn our whole life over to him? That's what Paul's talking about here. Learning and gaining that knowledge and understanding that we might turn our whole lives over to him in our walk, that our walk might be in line with his will. Our conduct should be one to honor Christ, not to shame him. And our conduct should be fully 
a manner and manner fully pleasing to him, right? In a way that uh, honors God. Turn over Luke chapter 6. Let's read a few verses from there. Luke chapter 6, and let's begin there in uh, 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I... But why do you call me Lord? Start over. By, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house, could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. There is a conduct that displeases Christ. As Christians, we can fall back into that, right? We can deny the, the understanding that we do know. We can not try to get better knowledge. We can not try to understand what he wants in our lives. And usually when that happens, we tend to fall back. We tend to get into things that we shouldn't be doing. We tend to do things in our lives that's not pleasing to him. We build that, we're building that house on the sand, right? Not on the rock. That foundation is shaky. So by gaining that knowledge and understanding and putting that into practice in our lives, we are pleasing to him. We are, doing, we are conducting our lives that's worthy of him, fully pleasing in him, and through that, he says, being fruitful in every good work. Titus 2 says, not just one, but every good work. We are to be fruitful. That fruit will occur. Why? Because we are gaining in knowledge, gaining understanding, and we're putting that into practice. Turn back over to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, and let's look at verse... Um, 10. He says, for we are his workmanship. Wait a minute. We are his workmanship. Who's we? Well, believers, right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, as Christians, we are created for good works. You say, we're all created. Well, of course we are. But believers are to be of good works. Good works that have been prepared from the beginning. There is work that we need to be doing that God has prepared for us to do. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at something there. Maybe this will help us understand what he's getting at there. Why we need to be doing this. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> And beginning verse uh, 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why do we do good works? Why do men need to see that? To glorify your Father in heaven. Why are we created? For good works. Those who believe. 
will do good works. What do those good works do? Glorify the Father. Do you need a reason to be here? Do you need motivation by a purpose? There you go. That's it right there. If nothing else, you do good works to glorify your Father. You think, well, okay, I understand that. What's that mean? What's that mean to glorify your Father? Think about it. In this world today, do you see a lot of people doing good works? Do you hear about that? Of course not. That's not going to make the ratings on the 6 o'clock news, right? But when you do these things, and you're not doing it to be showy, you're not doing it for the world to see what you're doing, God is glorified, and people will see that through your good works. There's been times in my life, many examples, that I can go back and say, wow, something happened in my family that Christians were doing for me, or my wife, or my family. And I could see how that was because of their heart to do good works. Someone getting up at 5 in the morning and going to see somebody in the hospital have a prayer with them before they're going to have surgery. They're doing good works. How many people in the world have something like that? Someone bringing food to a family because mom just found out she has cancer. Sitting with them, comforting them, listening to them. Does the world do that? Interesting, isn't it? Turn over Matthew 25 there while you're in Matthew. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I used to work downtown for several years. And this is, a, this is a silly example, really, but there's a lot of, you'd see homeless people a lot on the streets down there. And I can remember when I first started working there, I, I kind of walked by them, you know. And, you, you know, somebody say, yeah, I had a guy ask me ten times if he could have a quarter to make a phone call because his car was broke down. Well, I, I guess he, that was, and that was over a couple of years. And I remember the first time I heard that, I didn't, I just walked on by him. And then I remember reading, probably reading this passage right here. I probably even prayer about it, and I thought, you know, what does it hurt me to give the guy a quarter? So from that point on, I gave him a quarter one day, and the next day I gave him a couple of dollars, you know. I could spare that. I'd been blessed well. And I'm not saying that to show that I'm, I'm any great thing or anything. But how do I know I'm not serving the Lord through that, doing that? And it's not just something like that. I, I don't know that that fella ever got, ever got where he needed to go. And it wasn't like I was necessarily sharing the gospel with him. But the little things like that in your life, do you think about those things as a Christian? We have here folks here who are in need all the time. Are you able to help those that are in need right here in this congregation. You may not know about that, and a lot of folks don't want you to know about that, 
but there's people here who need stuff, need help. Spiritually and physically, monetarily, financially, whatever that is, you can be of service, be of good works. Well, through our faith, through our growth and our knowledge of him, we will produce fruit. You're going to do good works. If you're not, then maybe you need to be thinking about your growth, your faith, where your relationship with God really is, right? Maybe you need to be wondering about that. We need to be growing in knowledge of Him and not just, our, not just to do good works, not just to uh, help those who are in need, but knowing what His will is. How can we truly know God? How can we know God? Well, first of all, we have his creation, right? Uh, Romans 1, Paul says that the Gentiles didn't have any excuse, right? They didn't have the law like the Jews had, but they didn't have any excuse. They had creation just by the world that God had made. You walk outside, I've said this many times, you see a tree. You think, how did that get there, right? You look up at night and see the stars, the billions of stars. You can't even count them. How did those get there? And they didn't just evolve. It makes you think there's got to be somebody greater than me, right? There's got to be a being or something, a God, that's greater than me. So we see through creation. How else do we know God? Turn over to John. Let's read something we studied back when we were looking at the gospel. John chapter 14. Let's begin in verse 5. And I love this passage because Thomas kind of sticks his foot in his mouth right here. Usually it was Peter, but Thomas does it this time. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Philip's here doing this too. Here's Jesus saying, you see me, you know the Father. You see the way I live? You've been following me all this time, and you still want to know who the Father is after I've taught you and I've led you and I've loved you? You ever have somebody, maybe at work or maybe one of your kids, that you've told about 20 times how to do something? And then they come back and say, hey, how do I do that? After you've told them 20 times? I have people at work that do that. And I try to be as patient as I can. And I've probably done it too, you know? Something that I've been told about 10 times. I know when I was a kid I did, because I know my dad told me once or twice. I already told you how to do that. You should know that. I can kind of see that's how Jesus is seeing this. You've been with me all this time and you don't know who the Father is? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, that's how we know who God is, through the life of Jesus Christ, through the revelation of the Spirit, through the Word that we can read in scripture that's how we know jesus is 
that's how we gain that knowledge. And that's how we are able to put that knowledge into practice and increase our knowledge and increase our faith, increase our strength. Interesting passage. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. You see, it's God's desire that we are strong in our lives for him. We're not weak. There is glorious power available to Christians, of which Paul often wrote. Everybody knows Philippians 4.13, right? Anybody say it? I am strengthened through Christ who strengthens me. We all know that passage. All right. Ephesians 1. Turn over there real quick. <clears throat> Verse 1, verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, and that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. You see, we are identified with a spirit, with a God who raised the dead. Can you get any more powerful than that? We have that hope and that power in our faith and our knowledge, right? We are to be strong in our faith because of that, bold, Willing to take, make a defense for that faith. Willing to speak in this world which will ridicule you. In this world that, I dare say, might get you fired from your job. I dare say, might make you lose a few friends. Yeah, that might happen. He desires us to be full of knowledge and understanding and power so that we'll have patience and long-suffering with joy. Running out of time here. I don't have time to read the verses, but what's he mean by that? What does that mean? In James, he said, consider it joy when you experience a trial because that produces endurance. That produces that faith that you know God is there for you. I mean, the apostles actually saw Jesus in the flesh, right? We don't get to see that. We get to read about it. We get to understand it. We get to know about it. But because of that, we know where we're going, right? Because of his promise, his love for us, what he did for us, we know where we're going. So when things happen in this world, yeah, they're tough and they can be bad. But in the long run, it's temporary, right? It's not permanent. That's something we need to understand and know. I know it's hard when we have a loved one who's passed or, or someone's very sick in our family. And we're trying to figure out what are we going to do. Or we're being persecuted because of our faith. That should give you the power and the strength to be bold. Because we know that. And of course, part of that is giving thanks to the Father. He ends with that, right? Giving the thanks to the Father always. Being in gratitude. We should always be so humble that we're willing to thank the Father for what he's done. Thank God for our lives, our blessings, 
the love that he had for us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Whatever the prayer you have, whatever we do in our lives, Paul has prayed for the church of Colossae. We should be thankful to God that Paul was around and that the scriptures are here for us and that God did what he did. God desires us to line up our lives with his will. Right? Be having that full measure of knowledge and understanding, having that willingness to serve him in whatever we do. And I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir here because you're here around 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning for class. A lot of people are still in bed right now. And I, and I don't mean Christians necessarily. But that's all part of it. Being ready and willing to do anything that's needed in the kingdom. So, this prayer for the church closet that Paul prayed, he's praying it for you too. In fact, all these letters, when that Paul talks about his prayer for that church, he's praying that for you. Be fullness of knowledge, be full in your love and your knowledge and understanding, walking in a way worthy of him, knowing the power that the gospel provides, and being thankful to God for what he's done. I hope you're able to do that, and I hope this lesson's been uplifting to you. Our time is up.